Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. These programs are just one of several free services we provide to disseminate information about training for mountain sports. If you like what you hear and want more, please check out our website, UphillAthlete.com, where you'll find many articles and our extensive video library on all aspects of training for and accomplishing a variety of mountain goals. You'll also find our forum where you can ask questions of our experts and the community at large. Our email is coach at uphillathlete.com, and we'd love to hear from you. Welcome to another episode of the Uphill Athlete podcast. I'm your host, Scott Johnston, and today I have the pleasure of talking with um, Art Muir. Art has been coached uh, by us for, I don't know, several years now, at least. He's been working with Seth Kina and a bit with myself from time to time. And I think Art has a great story um, that will resonate with a lot of the audience. Um, as you can tell, Art's no spring chicken. He's kind of, <laughs> he's uh, someone I looked up, look up to in terms of, I hope I can be doing the things he's doing when I'm 74 years old. Um, that's, but that's only seven years away. So um, I'm, I'm trying to hang in there, Art. I want to, I want to be Art when I'm 74. So, um, so thanks for taking the time to, to chat with me today. Uh, it's a great pleasure to be here, you know, Scott. And uh, it's, I'm at the point now where we'll talk about a little bit where I like to be me too. So it's uh, it's been pretty good. <laughs> good, good. I know you've struggled with a few setbacks and injuries and things like that. And we, you know, at our age, that kind of comes with the territory. And I think we'll want to dig into that a bit. Um, yeah. You know, to talk about that to help to help people you know, think being able to na- navigate aging is a is, is there's no roadmap for it. But I do think we can give people some some tips on, you know, here's how we've managed or especially you've managed some of these obstacles and setbacks. But, but let me set the stage a little bit. So Art lives in Chicago. Um, so not exactly in the, the heart. <laughs> exactly, not exactly in the, the, um, the mountains and uh, but has managed to be really active over a large part of his adult life. Yeah, with mountain sports, um, especially mountaineering and ski mountaineering. Um, and in fact, you were here in my neighborhood in the North Cascades um, last February, as I recall, right. Um, right. doing yeah. a heli-assisted ski touring, right? Yeah, yeah. who was your guide for that? We I mean, know it was North Cascades heli skiing, but who was the guide? Yeah, the, the person that I've now had the significant pleasure of working with and taking trips with for several years. And we can talk about that a little bit, how I kind of got there is Tyler Reed, who runs an organization called Pacific Alpine guides. And he does ski. He leads ski backcountry ski tours all over the world. And, um, you know, and I've had the opportunity to do this. I've done maybe four or five trips with Tyler and, um, and we've gotten kind of now a cadre of, of uh, folks that have done that with me, who I, whom I've met, you know, partly from doing that, partly from other trips, and they've been really wonderful trips and fascinating places. You know, very, very adventurous and very much fun. And I've been able to kind of build this um, cohort of friends that I now consider to be really good friends. And we, you know, we're always planning the next trip. This year, of course, with COVID, has been a lot different that's made a big difference and we don't have anything planned, but we're always looking forward to it. As soon as we get done with one, we're looking forward to the next one. And so I'm not sure how long I can do it, but 
I'm not ready to quit yet, that's for sure. Well, he's he's been great. He's a wonderful it. guy. He's an IFMGA guide, and he's, you know, he's just a terrific person as well as being uh, a fantastic guide. Yeah, well, we have some great guides that I know personally around here. So, yeah, he, he fits that mold for sure. Well, in, in I, I do want to say one thing about okay. that, Scott. Right. So, for people who haven't tried it, this is skiing in the east side of the Cascades with uh, North Cascades uh, Heli Ski, I think is the name. I can't yeah. remember exactly, yeah. but that's yeah. close enough you can find it. And it is something you really should try. They have very powerful Bell Star helicopters. They only take four people at a time, plus the pilot, and they put you on top of places that are very, very, uh, very, they're very intimidating as you fly into them. It's one of my favorite videos, and the skiing is great, and the country is great, so it's something for people that, you know, who are interested to check out. It's, you know, being in the U.S., it's really fantastic. Yeah, it's it's the largest permitted heli-ski operation in the lower 48, which is pretty wow. unique. I mean, um, yeah, they usually, in my experience, I've, I've done a little bit of work with them, but they're, they are one, a one helicopter operation. And so we, and we have this phenomenal terrain around here. So I'm, I yeah. feel pretty lucky to have that in my backyard. I mean, norm, the rest of the, the locals all have, you know, snowmobile access. <laughs> um, it's but, a little unfair. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you must be the the oldest guy in that group, right? That you normally ski with. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's true. That's mm -hmm. true. And how is? But how is you know, other thing we can talk about this a little bit. And I've done you know those backcountry skiing trips. Kind of, I got into this recently. Most of the stuff I got into, kind of, I guess I call it in a serious way. You know, doing some of these bigger trips and and more distant trips, um, fairly recently, but. Not only there, but in some of the climbing trips I've had the, you know, the pleasure and the privilege of participating in, people have been just fantastic, uh, you know, in, in kind of welcoming me into the group, um, being solicitous, being sympathetic and understanding when it comes to, kind of, you know, expectations. You know, some of these groups have really talented people. I mean, they're led by professionals. And they have many people participating in them who are, you know, for instance, expert skiers. They've done stuff all over the place. Uh, expert climbers have done a lot of things. You know, I've been on ones with people who are completing their seven summits climbs and, and you know, grand slams and things like that. And, and to a person, to a person, they are always um, engaging, uh, sensitive, and, and thoughtful about kind of how I fit into that group and what I can do. Not just the guides, but the people. So, you know, it's a great experience. And, and I think in some ways, you know, I bring a different kind of perspective sometimes to the group. And I, and I think that's also um, enjoyable for other people. Oh, definitely. I mean, age has its cost, but it also <laughs> brings certain benefits of wisdom. I mean, you know, there's certainly that age old saying, like, I, I wish I had knew all this stuff when I was 30 years yeah. old. Um, you bet. And so I, and I'm sure that my experience has been very much the same with the mountain community that I've been involved with my entire life. I've been very lucky, you know, when I was a kid to be, you know, being, having been sort of taken up with some you know, older mentor types that helped me along uh, and kind of kept me from killing myself, in fact. And I was, you know, but I always found the group that, that this community be pretty embracing and, you know, 
you know, there obviously there's obviously the odd jerk out there, and there. Yeah. But yeah. I think the overall the community is is very welcoming and very willing to kind of help and reach out and, and, and show somebody else the ropes or, or in your case, you know, say, okay, look at, like you've mentioned this to me before, that maybe you sit out a lap when you're doing, you know, some ski touring. It's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit here and have a snack and wait for you guys after this run. We'll catch back up. And I, I think that, you know, that if, but the willingness of people to do that is very refreshing and, you know, it's not a competitive atmosphere and normally, um, you know, and I've seen it everything well, and I'm finding myself in this position now to some extent, most of my outdoor partners are half my age and, you know, I don't climb as hard as I used to climb and I can't skin uphill nearly as fast as I used to do it. And so, but I found them to be, you know, like you said, they are, they were are certainly willing to kind of hold back on my, on my behalf or to accommodate what I, well, if we go to a crag and there's some, you know, there's some really hard climbs, well, I'll belay them on those and they can belay yeah. me on something easier yeah. without any sort of, you know, there's no real uh, stigma attached to the fact yeah. that, you know, I'm not at that level anymore. And, no. you know, it's, and I think that's a tough thing for a lot of us to negotiate is because as at our age, we're beginning to lose, not, or not beginning, we have lost a great deal of that youthful vigor we once had. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, that's absolutely the case, and that's what I've found. But, you know, the other thing that happens as you get older, you, you start, hopefully, I think, if you come to terms with your age, we all have trouble doing that, you know, so that things like, how old do you feel? And sometimes, you know, it's, you feel a lot, you know, different ages on different days. But, but um, the other thing that I think happens is, um, you know, we, we tend to lose our sense of, of adventure. And so I find myself kind of forcing myself not so much to do that once I got involved in this, but, you know, kind of getting into things maybe the, where I'm getting things a little bit over my head, you know, and, but then the difference though is that from my standpoint, um, the climbing is a, is a better example. You know, to me, if I go on one of these trips and get to the top, that's, that's great. I mean, I, you know, it's not like I don't want to get to the top, but the reality is I'm just there to see, you know, what the, mountain or the trip is going to give me. I mean, I, I, and, and so you, I think that's part of the process that comes as you get older. You know, you tend to realize that standing on top of the rock is a really good thing. And, you know, to be able to say you did that, feel like you've accomplished it, but it's not really, you know, it's not really all about that. And, and, and it kind of fades as the dynamics of the group, the interactions, the friendships that you form, um, the mistakes that you make and you learn from it. I've certainly got a couple of those on my on my background now, which uh, you know, you know, I don't want to I don't want to have any more. Yeah, but I think, I, I think that's a big I think that's a big difference, and I think I would have felt a lot differently when I was younger. It was much more about all about the top and all about the you know the accomplishment, mm -hmm. kind of losing sight of the process and the experience. You know, it's it's a little bit like you spend your life. You know, going to, and I was a, you know, I was a typical kind of a working guy and, you know, we can talk about that a little bit, had a regular career and came to this later. And, you know, one of the things you do when you're kind of in life is, you, you know, you have your family and you want to take care of your family and then you start accumulating stuff. You start buying things, you know, you go places and you buy stuff and you furnish houses and, you know, for 
people who might be listening who are younger, you're going to find out that later on you have to get rid of all that stuff. (laughs) And and the reality is nobody wants it. The old days, I think the kids, you know, we, we got some stuff from Leslie, my wife and I have some stuff from our parents, you know, that we still have furniture and things like that. Our kids don't want any of that. And so, uh, you know, we've got this odd process where we spent our whole life, you know, filling up the house with stuff. And now we, you have to find something to do with it. And what becomes much more important, and you realize much more important is, that, you know, um, our experiences and, you know, your, your family, your people that you, your friends you've had for years and years and the experiences. And that's why this has been so, it, it just expanded my horizons and my circle, my friendships so much. It, it's just been delightful. Not not all the training has been delightful, okay? <laughs> and not all the climbing and the, and the uphill has been delightful, but the ability to um, reflect and recollect and, and um, think back about these adventures that I've had, you know, when I'm not doing them, it, it, it used to, it used, to, you know, I think of, I think of these experiences of, it's kind of a three part thing where you have the anticipation and you signed up for something and you're all excited about it. And you have the participation where you're actually doing the event. And then finally you have the recollection. Yeah. And it used to be that I was the anticip. I used to think that the anticipation kind of was the most compelling part, and then the actual participation because it's over, you know, pretty quickly typically, and then the recollection was something that was nice. But now I've shifted the focus where the recollection becomes really important because I think back on these, and it, it brings a lot of satisfaction, enjoyment, I, you know, uh, it, and the anticipation is great. And so the participation is because it's kind of narrow is in there, but my recollection is what um, kind of carries me on it and actually helps with the training because you know, and, and many of your um, clients and, and friends and those who participate in things like uphill athlete know it can be a real grind. I mean, it's really hard and I, and I'm really fortunate because I've retired. This is, I think this is my come out five years now, but um for those who are still working, you know, trying to take care of kids, trying to run down jobs, so, um, training to be ready to do some of these trips is a major commitment, but it can be done. The good news is if you get to the point like me where you're retired, then you're, it's a gravy. I mean, you're really, you're, you're set. You can do your training and take your nap. It's, you know, it's really, it's really good. <laughs> it all works out really well. Yeah, it does. It does. Well, I, and I've had a similar trajectory you know i've been at this a lot longer you know started climbing when i was in high school and it's been a you know, major factor in my life from you know now for what's that i have to say that's um over 50 years that i've been you know, yeah. trying to do this you know, or doing it you know and, and but and trying is more probably more accurate i mean i'm always looking to see if i can be better than i was yesterday um now it's a, a case of trying to slow the decline a little bit but um but I, and I like you, you know, in my youth, and, and I mean, I was probably as driven as almost any climber I've ever known. You know, it was, it, I, had, I had something to prove. And it was either proving that to myself or to my compatriots or to the world in general. And that was a huge part of the motivation for me. And, you know, I'm lucky that I lived through a lot of situations that I you know, literally maybe shouldn't have lived it through. Um, and, but what's happened with age, like you, with you, is that now it's, you know, I don't have anything to prove. 
Um, you know, I am never going to climb as hard or as dangerous and do all that stuff that I did, you know, 35 years ago. It's just never going to happen again. And so for me now, it's, it's the experience. Who am I with? How, you know, how much, how enjoyable these things are. Um, and then, like you said, the recollection, you know, I mean, I have a lifetime of memories of these kinds of things. And then, as you pointed out earlier, I think one of the, you have an incredible bond with people that you have been through some of these type of adverse situations. I mean, if you had to sit on a chopped out ledge on an icy mountain overnight with no bivy gear with a person, you have, you become joined at the hip with that person for life. I mean, you've lived through something that um, brings you very, very close. I'm sure I have no experience with this, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's not, it's pretty similar to what it's like to live through combat with a person. And so I think that depth of connection is something that we often are, are struggle to find in our everyday life because things are so fast paced and it's, it's so easy for us to just move on to the next thing. And when we get out in the mountains and we're no longer dictating the schedule, the weather, we're not calling the shots anymore. We're, we're there at the mercy of those mountains. And it's a matter of, you know, are we prepared to handle what the mountain is throwing at us? And, uh, so I found that, you know, certainly I learned all this while, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know this when I was 25 years old, that's for sure. Um, but I have figured it out over the years that, that that's really what matters. You know, when I meet friends of mine, the ones that are still alive that have, you know, a lot that I climbed with when I was in my twenties and thirties, it's a very rewarding, you know, it's like, it's like a family reunion over again. I'm sure you have yeah. similar experiences with folks folks you've been on these trips with. Yeah, it's a, it's almost, you know, and I haven't, you know, fortunately I haven't spent, haven't had to spend a night on a ledge without a bivy. No, I haven't had to do that. I don't, I can, I can probably read about that as opposed to having, you know, experienced it, but I have had some experiences that I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's just really, um, it's this powerful internal bond, you know, that you create with people. And then when you reconnect with them, it's this very warm kind of embracing, you know, reconnection. And, and, and that's why this group, um, there's, there's always new people on these trips and it's always fun. And they tend to be, you know, you always kind of wonder, they, they end, almost always turn out to be good people. But then this core of folks that I know now, we've become really close because of this. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, it's, when you're young, you just don't kind of realize it. When you're my age, the other thing that starts to happen is you start to lose friends. Now, I don't lose friends because they're climbing or skiing. You know, I lose friends because, you know, they can't dodge the big ones. Heart disease, uh, cancer, you know, uh, not so much with accidents. But, you know, it's, it's, it makes you, as the old saying goes, you know, you're aware of your own, your own mortality. You start to think about that a little bit. Because these were people you knew well, you know, really good people. And so part of what, what happened to me actually is I was, I was an attorney, you know, and working in a large firm and putting in the hours and doing all that sort of thing. And I guess maybe, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years ago, um, a little bit before I retired, I just decided that, you know, I'd been sitting in the chair a lot. Um, I, I, I wasn't in terrible shape. I mean, I was in okay shape, hadn't done anything, you know since back in the nineties, very much. And I, I walked into the gym that happened to be in our building just by coincidence. Um, 
you know, asked for a trainer, didn't really, you know, kind of have any idea what I was doing and ended up working with a woman who was actually, um, uh, Beth Flores, who was actually really great. But it was the first kind of consistent exercise I'd started doing. It wasn't training, all right? I wouldn't say it was training, but I was doing some exercise. And, um, and suddenly I realized that, you know, I needed to do that to be able to um, live my life in a way that was not filled with, um, you know, just aches and pains and the inability to do things. And it was, it was becoming a limiter. You know, I, I felt like it was becoming a, a limiter and I wanted to do some more things. Um, I've always been interested in climbing, done a little bit of it in the past, not, not a lot, but I wanted to do that. I was very fortunate to have a friend of mine, that we can talk about that a little bit, who kind of uh, encouraged me to um, do a trip down to um, Ecuador and climb some volcanoes, which is kind of funny the way that worked out. But the point was that, you know, I just knew that um, I wasn't getting any younger and I was kind of looking for a way to kind of get back in the game. I knew I'd have some more time as I was getting closer to retirement. I worked for a firm with really a wonderful place to work, McGuire Woods. It's headquartered in Richmond, but has offices you know, around the country and other places in the world. And they were really terrific about this and allowing me to have some more time off as I kind of got closer to retirement. So I had the time to do some things and take some trips. And, um, and, and it's, it's thinking about, you know, I do this because I can take the trips, but I also think about, the fact that um, the training and, and being in good, relatively good shape and being, you know, keeping yourself as strong as you can, uh, if you can avoid the, 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 the big killers like, you know, heart disease and, and um, cancer, allow you to do things around the house. And the one that I think about is every time I have to move the grandkids car seat, you know, out of the car, <laughs> put it back on the shelf. I mean, somebody designed that thing to be as clumsy and awkward and difficult to move around as possible. I don't think I'm the only one that's had this issue. I think parents of kids know what I'm talking about. And there are, there are just things, you know, in daily life that if you're, even if you're training to go, you know, up a, up a mountain, you're training, even though you're doing that, you're just better off, you know, being able to get around and do things. Um, I had to, we had to, we had to move a flower pot in from outside. Now that sounds kind of silly, but it was a pretty big flower, flower pot the other day and it was terracotta. So it's porous and it rained a bunch. So it was empty. I picked this thing up. I was going to carry it in the garage. It weighs like, I don't know, like 40 pounds or something like that. I can't remember, but you know, trying to carry that thing out in front of you, that was, that was not easy. So it's been tremendously advantageous in just kind of for me, and I think it would be for other people to, you know, kind of what I can do, how I feel, that feeling when, you know, when you're, when you're feeling good as opposed to feeling, I don't know, tired, you know, you haven't had enough exercise, your body isn't working very well. So it's, it's been, you know, it's been terrific for that, not just because it opens chapters, but because it allows me to live my life on a daily basis in a more enjoyable way. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'd like to mention earlier, I mean, my, my, in my youth, it was all about high performance. How fast could I run? How hard could I climb? How quickly could I get up and down these mountains and all that sort of thing. And, and now while I still love those types of things, it's shifted much more to, you know, how can I keep at least a foot in that door and keep doing those kinds of things. And, you know, at a, even at a reduced level. Um, and, you know, you know, I'm, 
I've said this, I think, in public quite a few times, I, I don't train anymore. I mean, when I was young, I trained, and I trained really hard for a long, lot of years. Now I'm much more of an exerciser, and that's to fit into, you know, my life structure and all that, and, you know, I mean, I've got enough experience to kind of, I can manage my exercise yep. level as if it were training, but it's not. I mean, I don't write out a training plan for myself anymore, that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think part of it was from being in a highly structured programs for a good chunk of my life where training was, you know, such a key thing. It's like, okay, I don't, I don't, I don't have the energy for that anymore. I did that for uh, 20 years. Um, but I agree with you completely. And I think this is a, a great message that, you know, the, as we age and our shift becomes, you know, shifts from our, 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 our mentality shifts from high performance to just, you know, keeping you keeping moving, you know, getting up out of the you know, bed every day and not going, Oh my God, what's happening today? Work? And, you know, what am I doing with? And I mean, that's almost inevitable. Something's going to be out of whack most of the time. But I, um, this, you know, having this consistent program, and I think this, we, you and I have enough history now that this was a little bit of a struggle for you when we first got started. And I said, hey, Art, you know, you, you've told me what you want to do, which when you came to us was, I want to climb Mount Everest. And I said, well, then here's how you need to go about that. And I think you were a little taken aback by a couple of those conversations. We had a couple of come to Jesus um, conversation about that stuff yeah it's exactly right and I remember them very well and I still have the emails I had conversations and emails and and what you and I it came from it from the other perspective right I didn't hadn't really done very much of this uh, again I had some um, experiences where I I I'd done um, kind of a trek to Everest base camp on the north side back in 1990 that was an expedition led by Jim Whitaker and um and I saw, but the reason I got into that was I, saw, I was at work and I saw this article in the New York Times that said they were taking trekkers if you made a contribution. I think it was like contributing $10,000 to the expedition, which was pretty clever on Whitaker's part. Um, they would bring you along and there was a big group of, turned out to be fabulous people, really interesting people who did this trek. I went to the north side and we actually, I actually, and some others got up to the advanced base camp and I remember I was in the, a tent, the wind was blowing and howling, and Whitaker was in there, Jim Whitaker was in there, and he was with two guys, Robert Link and oh, yeah. Jeff Gall from Aspen, I think, giving them instructions. And what had happened is that was supposed to be international peace climbing. He's going to have a Chinese, Chinese climber, a Russian climber, and an American climber going teams of three. But the Berlin Wall came down, and he turned it into kind of a cleanup, clean up Everest. So Jim Whitaker was the guy that um, promoted the idea originally, kind of associated with Earth Day back then of cleaning up the cleaning up the mountain. So that was a wonderful experience. And I ended up um, going with a couple of guys I met uh, the next year to Denali. But then I didn't, hadn't done anything really at, at, you know, at all um, until I started to kind of come to this stuff later on. And, and, and one of the things that, that happened was I jumped into this with a lot of enthusiasm. And I'd been, I'd been doing some exercise um, with some trainers, some of whom really are very talented, but, but the program and the difference, and I think it's important to talk about this, the way that uphill athlete works in, these, in your training program work. In there, what you were doing is, I was going into um, you know, a, a gym, a, basically a facility, um, with, with uh, trainers who were particularly well adapted to training real high-level athletes. So they were high school 
college and many professional athletes uh, here in Chicago, um, Chicago Bears and other other mostly football players. But they had a few baseball players, um, you know, with, who were on different uh, major league teams, a lot of high school kids. And then they had some, you know, um, some structure for people like me that were coming in. And, and they were really good. But the difference was that it was um, a couple hours a week. I think, I don't know if I ever did three hours a week. I had two sessions a week. And so when you go in and you go in, it was very intense. It was about, you know, moving things around, lifting heavy things and, you know, moving stuff around. And this was a, these are very sophisticated guys. It's not like this is just some, you know, big box gym where they really necessarily know what they're doing. These are very accomplished trainers with very accomplished athletes. And I found, what I found was, I was hurt all the time. I was just, my body just couldn't take that kind of intense um, effort. I mean, I was kind of, I guess, physically or mentally willing to try it, but things just, they just don't connect the same way they do. You know, um, stuff is stiffer and it's thinner and it's just not as, you know, it's not as protective as it was. So when I came um, to Uphill Athlete and what had happened is um, Steve was working with one of the guys that I had become a friend of, Wolf Riley, because uh, Wolf is, was training to do the Iger. And, um, and so Steve was developing a program with Wolf. And um, so we were talking about that. And I, you know, I'd seen, uh, I'd actually bought the book independently, you know, Training for New Alpinism. And this was starting to resonate with me, kind of understanding kind of process and thinking about the program and how you have to have a process and, you know, and then be persistent. And, and, and that leads to progress. Anyway, I came and I remember that, you know, we had a conversation and um, you kind of talked about this and I was just stunned that you took me on as a client, frankly, I'd be quite honest, you know, I mean, you had, you had real fish to fry and here you were you know, messing around with the, with the, the small fish. And so I started doing this and I remember we started the program and um, I then wrote to you and talked about how I wanted to play some golf, work this in, how that's working with it. I wanted to play platform tennis, which is one of the things we do here in the Midwest to get outside. And you wrote back and you basically said, look, you know, you, you don't get it. Okay. You don't, you don't get it at your age. You can't do this program and do all these other things. Um, it just doesn't, your body just isn't going to let you do it. You won't be ready. I mean, that's really what you said. And yeah. And then, mildly. Yeah, no, no, no. But then, you, but then, then you wrote back and you said, in fact, you don't understand you can die. Okay. This is not, you're not, this is not, this is not a golf match. This is not a paddle, you know, game. You could die and if you're not ready. And you know, we talked about that. And so I, I got the message. I actually, um, you know, stopped doing that and, and focus on the training. But the other thing that happened was you warned me about this too, is that it was, it was hard, but my body also didn't just accept it and slowly get stronger. We, I think as you described it, you're going to feel like you have the flu. Remember, it, you know, you're going to feel sick. It, and and so when you start to put this these big influences in and this and this stress on your body, it isn't just that you need rest to let the muscles and all the rest of the parts you know we're really complicated let everything recover. It's your body's going to have some inflammation and you know other types of things which I don't can understand. But I do remember I, I didn't feel very very good and I was tired and it took you know a long time to work through that. And so there are times when you kind of wonder you know, about how you're doing. And it's the stair-step approach where you kind of move up and then you kind of fall back. But 
you know, the thing that's the thing about it, Scott, is that now that we've done this for two and a half years, I think, or something somewhere along that line, and I've and I've had some you know major relapses too along the way and other kinds of things, but now what happens is working with Seth Keenan um, more than directly with you, um, we have a um, a challenging program, one that I think is, you know, that I really like. Um, there's plenty of intensity there, not too much, but I don't, I don't fall apart the way I used to. My body doesn't react the same way. I've had some issues and things go wrong, but that general kind of malaise and that flu, the point is though, that it took a while to get there. So if you start when you're, you know, 72 or whatever I was at the time, it's going to take you longer than if you start when you're 62 or if you start when you're 52, you're still going to get there, but you have to be, you have to be realistic about how long it's going to take and, and what you can uh, achieve. And it hasn't been, you know, this hasn't been without some setbacks along the way, either, which is, you know, something people have to be prepared for. That's just the way life is. That's just the way our bodies work. Yeah. And, you know, having coached everything from, you know, people in our generation, our age, all the way down to you know, juniors. I've coached, you know, I think people know some of my background. I mean, I coached a very successful um, junior program for a number of years with cross-country skiers where we actually put a number of kids went on to ski in the Olympics and perform really high at a very high level in the World Cup. And so I've had that experience, kind of the whole gamut of, of age. And it, I can say that, you know, it's incredibly gratifying to work with these kids because you feel like you must be the smartest coach in the world because they adapt so quickly Yeah, and you're just thinking, Oh man, I know all this stuff and I'm just incredible because you know, you, they go from being these, you know, lumps of flesh to these incredible athletes in just no time at all. You know, they make, you know, you can see the changes from almost day to day or week to week. Anyway, I think that what I, what I learned, you know, the bulk of my personal experience had been when I was young and I saw how quickly I adapted to the training and then working with, you know, dozens and dozens of kids over seven or eight years. I, you know, I saw how that quickly that works. And, it, and until you lived through those experiences and then started to work, you know, for my, with myself in middle age and now older and, you know, then working with other athletes in the same age cohort, I went, oh, we don't respond <laughs> nearly as quickly as those kids do. And so we have to take that into consideration. It changes the rate at which we can ramp up the training load. It uh, means more recovery time, um, which is something we've, we've written about a lot in our books and on the website. But until you've actually had experience with it, you know, it's like with you, it sort of took, took some time and it can, kind of comes as a shock because in our minds, I'm sure you would agree with me this, you're still 35 years old. You, know, you, you feel like, well, I did these things when I was 35. I should be able to do them now. And it's hard to reckon with the fact that, okay, you maybe think you're 35 years old, but now, you know, the metabolic processes are slightly different. You know, you, yeah. mitochondria isn't as efficient as it once was. You know, that's something that people, I think, don't recognize. You know, mitochondria, of course, has its own DNA. And mitochondria, I'm going to go down a little rabbit hole here, but I think for the aging population, this is kind of to understand aging is a, an important thing. And one of the principal things that happen as we age 
is because mitochondria, a generation of mitochondria only lives several days. And so it's a new generation is coming along, you know, every few days that, and they're, you know, the, the chromosomes are splitting and replicating and all that. And with them, with each one of those generations, it's possible that you're passing on a, some kind of defective DNA, you know, and so these, and these defects can become multiplied over the, the, all the years that we're alive so that mitochondria that you have now are not capable of producing the energy that they were 30 some years ago um, because now the, the mitochondria, the DNA is slightly defective. Um, and of course, in severe cases, what they call mitochondrial disorder, I mean, you can, you know, it can become extremely you know, life-threatening even, but even just a normal person aging, that's one of the reasons we don't have the energy we do. It's one of the reasons we get wrinkles because the, the mitochondria are the, you know, they're in every single cell in our body and they're, they're providing the energy that keeps these cells alive. And, you know, it, but it, until you've experienced it firsthand, it's kind of hard to, to really understand that and come to grips with it. And, but I think it's, you know, this is kind of why I'm in, you know, enjoying trying to figure out how to navigate this, this whole aging thing and still remain, you know, pretty active for, for someone else. And you too, but, you know, as active as you, I think, you know, most certainly you're way more, you're in the top one percentile, I'm sure, of 74-year-olds uh, in terms of activity level. Well. You know, it's, it's so interesting. It, it's true. You know, I look in the mirror and I sometimes wonder who this, who this guy is, you know, looking back, who this old guy is looking back at me. We can't do much about, yeah. you know, our face, especially I grew up in Colorado. I was outside a lot before we knew, you know, you got to be careful about that sort of thing. But here's the thing that's really on the, on the flip side of that is given it, it, it's actually, I, I'm still stunned by this, you know, but given the, the time and the right stimulus, our bodies, even, for you know, an old guy like me will respond. That 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 is actually incredible. All right, it, it just it's amazing that we evolved, you know, to to live until our teeth wore out, and then we starved to death. But I mean, you know, I don't know, 25, 30 years at the most, and here we are, you know, two, three times that um, age expectancy, still vibrant and able to do things. And I'm not alone. This is I'm no I'm no special person. I wasn't a you know an athlete. I mean, I did sports through high school, but went to college and didn't do anything, which I regret not, not having at least tried it um, and not having done things before. You know, there are people who are um, just special. They're just special athletically, but most people are like me. You know, if you can avoid um, debilitating diseases and you know put in the work, take care of yourself. You know, eat decently and i'm not a great eater you know if i can get rid of cookies and ice cream i'd be a lot healthier i'll tell you that but you know eat eat decently um get on a program you know your body will respond that that is what i think is just remarkable and it, it takes time though when we started when you and i started i think i did a aerobic threshold test i don't remember exactly you know where we were with this but i think it was 110 something like that that's where we started yeah, so I was kind of in the 110, and we push it to 115, maybe 120. Um, and over time, that's moved up. And so Seth and I now work with my aerobic threshold at 130. And, you know, that's nothing compared to somebody who's 45, you know, or 25 or 35, and what theirs are. Um, but it gives me a hugely improved um, capability when I'm trying to move up a mountain or backcountry ski. Or even ski at a resort. I mean, I like skiing at a resort, but 
I found that, you know, one of the things I found is that it's a little, I feel like sometimes it's a merry-go-round. You know, you ride the lift up, you ski all the way down. You ride the lift up, you ski all the way down. It used to be, you know, it takes some breathers and takes some rest stops and stuff. So backcountry skiing is so wonderful because of the rhythm. There's that rhythm you have of, you know, the, the long ascent, you know, 58 minutes up and two minutes down <laughs> or something like that. Mm-hmm. But there's still a rhythm to it that allows you to kind of move through the wilderness and, 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 and appreciate it and, and think about it, you know, because we live in a, you know, I live in a you know, community with you know, thousands and millions of other people here in, in the suburb of Chicago. Um, and being outside, you know, the opportunity to see that and, and, and re- kind of reconnect with the world is really special. And that's what training gives, you know, gives, gives me. And it, it, it is true for others. You know, I, like I said, I'm not alone and, and it works. That's, I think that's what's so great. And I think the other thing too is that, um, you know, I, I become much more um, kind of aware of my own uh, strengths and weaknesses, I guess I'd call it. And one of the things that um, the program has done is, you know, the aches and pains don't go away. The, the things that happen, as you know, I've had a, an IT band issue that's really a limiting factor. And we've worked really hard on that. I thought it was past it. It was actually a few weeks ago, I was actually running. I don't mean jogging. I mean running. And then it flared up again. So, you know, the ability to just for somebody my age to be outside and actually running was, was, was really special. I have to tell you, that was really special. But then other things, you know, I ended up with this thing called the neuroma. I don't know, you know, we don't need all the details, but it's an inflammation of the nerve on one of your toes. And it's like really, it's really a drag because it's like Chinese water torture. And it kind of builds up over time and becomes really uncomfortable when you're doing something like hiking or, or skiing. But on the other hand, when I came to you, I had some issues. For instance, I had... Um, a really sore ankle. I think it was some arthritis maybe in one of the ankles. So when I was trying to, um, you know, um, climbing and I'm, I'm working with crampons and trying to, you know, you're doing, you know, he, uh, canard, you know, kind of that duck step of a thing where you have to bend the ankles that really hurt in one of my ankles. And I had a thing where on airplanes or driving, I get a big, big pointer in my, in my glute, you know, if I sat for too long, and there's, there are other things I don't really remember. I, when I go through my journals, that kind of reminds me of all these things. I don't have those anymore. And I know it's because of this exercise program, kind of the strengthening and the stretching and some of the mobility work and just letting the, you know, the tendons and the ligaments kind of join up with um, some of the muscular improvements. And um, doesn't mean you get away from it. You know, you can't, there's some things you can't fix, but but, you know, I have many fewer um, issues, frankly. I just feel better. Not, I don't mean just stronger, but I mean, I just feel better. There are fewer inherent um, issues. And, and that's a, you know, that's a really good way to live your life and, and enjoy your day. It sure is. And I think that, you know, you, first I want to point out that, you know, you are quite typical. I mean, not if your age, <clears throat> I would say you're probably you know, on the upper end of the spectrum of the folks that we coach. But one of the points you made earlier is, you know, yeah, I'm not special. I've never been a big athlete and um, probably don't have any special genetic gifts. And, and I think one of the misconceptions that's out there is that uphill athlete is for elite athletes. 
and I can tell you that less than 5% of the people that work, we work with, I would consider elite or professional. And I'm, you know, you are much more aligned and aligned with the, the typical uphill athlete, customer, client, a coached athlete. And, um, and I think that, you know, what we have really tried to do with the, you know, the books and the website and everything else is to show people, okay, yes, you may not, you know, you might be 60 years old or you may not have been a lifetime athlete and you may have, you know, kind of crappy genetics. We don't know. But if you do the, if you follow these ideas that elite athletes do use, yes, you might not be training like Killian Jornet and, you know, training 40 hours a week. I mean, that's probably not going to happen for most of us, um, even ones that are the same age as him. But if you think about the way he trains or the way Steve House trained when he was younger, kind of the things we advocate for, you can apply those principles at any age and they will work. And you know, they may not work as fast. And yes, you probably are never going to become Killian Jornet or Steve House. But the, what we're trying to do is bring these kind of well-tested elite idea, training ideas that work you know, all at the highest levels and make them accessible to you know, the average athlete and the amateurs, the recreational people. Um, that's really been our goal since day one. And it's, it's sometimes, I think, misunderstood by the public that we come across because we do work with a few elites for sure. And we, from time to time, publish, you know, stories or podcasts with some high level people in our, our hopes is that those would be kind of inspirational, not intimidating. But I do know there's some of that out there that people feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough to work with uphill athlete. And you just said that a few moments ago where you said, yeah. I couldn't believe you'd work with me. And I've heard that from other people. Um, yeah. But, you know, I talk to, I don't know, a couple dozen people a week who, you know, whether it's by email, but I probably do a lot of phone calls with folks. And that's a common theme I hear is that like, well, well are you, you think I'm, do you think I could do up the programs you guys have? And I say, well, of course you could. I mean, it may have to be scaled. It's going to be scaled appropriately for each person's level. Um, and it, as yours was, and, and it, and for many people, it's going to be kind of a paradigm shift in the way they, you know, they view their bodies and their exercise. And, um, but in the long run, as you've just spent some time saying is, you know, that's, that has paid off in a big way for you now. And, and I think that it's, uh, you know, it's allowing you, and I'm sure it will for years to come to live a quite an active lifestyle, you know, whether it's picking up the the baby seat, um, <laughs> car seat, or, you know, going back to Mount Everest. You know, it's, yeah. It's, you know, I feel like sometimes in perspective, I feel like Indiana Jones, you know, those movies where the, he's in the, he's trapped in the temple and the, and the giant stone door is coming down and he barely has time. You know, my window is, my window is a little, is a little different, but, um, but it's still there. And um, you know, it's one of the things that um, I do think people need to bring they don't have to. They don't have to be elite athletes. They don't have to have a long history. Um, they do need to have a desire, obviously, to to do the program. Oh, look at but that! It, it does require. Look at you know something. You know something. It does. I'm wearing. I'm, I had this shirt here. You can't coach desire. I think about that a lot. You know, I, uh, Scott. I think about that a lot. And down below it, down below it at the bottom, where you can't see this, of course, as you know, it says Summit Team. And and what I like about that is it elevates the desire and the commitment 
above the sum, concept of the summit. And it's exactly what I was saying before. It's, it's, about the, it's about the process and the journey. But I think what's interesting, and I just, you know, I just am so, I, I guess, just so gratified that I found Uphill Athlete and had a chance to work with you and Seth and meet some others from other members of the team. It's such an outstanding operation. And, and I'm still blown away by the amount of information and, and, and um, that you put on the website. I think it's just remarkable. It says something about, you know, the, the, the motivation for you and what you're thinking about, about how you're trying to help. I mean, you're trying to make this a business, of course, but you're trying to really share the information. Very, um, it's, it's very gratifying to see that. But I would say you got to, you got to bring that, you got to bring that. Okay. You know, skills, but you got to bring that commitment because it's important to adhere to the program. And, you know, as you said in the books and as you've said in many other cases, um, life has a way of getting in the way, you know, things happen, um, you know, it, it, injury, sickness, divorce, you know, weddings, birthdays, trips. I mean, all things I was, we went to eat and I, we were on the, one of the trips I take with my wife and some friends we were in this little teeny boat, you know, maybe there were 20, 20, 25, um, rooms in there, passengers, fantastic. Egypt is a place people should visit. We have to have the chance, but they had like a little workout room to make sure there was a workout thing before we signed up. That consisted of was a um, was a treadmill stuck in a closet, okay, <laughs> in the bottom of the boat. So for four or five days, I was down there with a pack on, you know, on this treadmill. And by that time, I was kind of acclimated. You know, I think that they're typically I look at the world in, in a very simplified, oversimplified way. There are a couple kinds of people, in my view, in my experience. There are self-starters and entrepreneurs, you know, people that can take information and run with it. And then there are people who like me, I, I'm a, I'm a framework guy. I like the, I like the framework. And um, even though you have uh, so much information out there, not only your book on your website um, in terms of plans and programs um, for people who can interpret that uh, for me, and I'm sure for a lot of others, I can read that and I can understand what it's saying, but I can't, I can't make off, you know, I can't bring myself to actually commit to it. But when I, I have a coach who every single day, every single day, um, I, you know, I do my exercise or my training session and then I get a response. So we communicate, I communicate more with my coaches than, than, than I do with Leslie's. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Every single day, there's a there's a communication, and, and that is, I, I think that is hugely important. Sometimes those messages are um, reinforcement. Sometimes they're encouraging. Sometimes they're warnings. Sometimes they're questions. Sometimes there are suggestions about you know issues that come up. I mean, they, they run they run the gamut, but it's a enormously important. And as opposed to even a a trainer who's a you know, really helping you say in a gym situation, uh, twice a week, once a week, maybe even three times a week, or where you're going to the gym and you're not doing it by yourself here under the program, you know, I have, um, one of the many programs, but, you know, we communicate every single day and that communication is geared toward the training that I'm doing and the goal, the goal that I have. And that's hugely helpful in terms of, um, keeping that stoke high. I mean, it's important. 
because yeah. there are days out there. And, and I now train. The other thing you told me early on was, and I, I know your book emphasizes, you can't just go from sitting in a desk, talking on the phone, working on a computer for eight, nine, 10, 11 hours a day, doing that for 30 or 35 years, and suddenly start training 700 hours a year. It just doesn't happen that way. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. But, you know, again, gradually over time, it kind of gotten to the point with, with the exception of some setbacks of getting to that point where it's, you know, um, between 11 and maybe 12 hours a week of the actual work, not just the, you know, plus there's the prep, the warm up, and the, mm -hmm. and the, you know, the foam rolling and massage and stretching and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that, that takes time to build that up. You just don't do that suddenly. But the program, I mean, the uphill athlete program is so well suited to that. That, and that's why I'm so really so grateful that I, I found this and it's allowed me to open up all these chapters, allowed me to take all these wonderful adventures, meet all these wonderful people. It's, it's just, it's just the best. Well, I'm going to have to up your commission. I can see. I, <laughs> I told you that. Wait, I told you, you weren't charging enough. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm going to have, have to pay you more for these endorsements, I guess. Huh? Well, it's true. It's just, yeah. it's just, those are just the facts, just the facts. No, it, We'd like to hear that, of course, and we, and we hear it from lots of folks that, you know, this has transformed their lives and made a big difference. And, but as you were, you started this con part of the conversation with, you know, the, the, that desire, you have to want to change. You have to want to do something, whether it's, whether it's climb a mountain, run a race, go on a ski trip or whatever it is, you have to have that desire and that focus, because as you pointed out, in the process of the process of training there's going to be some days when you're it's going to be kind of hard to put your shoes on and get out the door like okay <laughs> and 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 having somebody there and to give a gentle nudge can be a help um and also somebody to um, there's going to be some days when maybe you shouldn't put your shoes on and get out the door and you should be you know and it's nice to have a sounding board you know kind of an objective outside observer who's going to say yeah you know art based on what i'm seeing for the last couple of days in your training log I think maybe we should have a day off today. And I, I think in that a, a lot of the folks that we work with, you know, I would say the, the, maybe all the folks that end up coaching with us are type A personalities. You know, they've been successful in a lot of parts of their life or they're really driven to succeed, you know, in this new sphere or they're on some climb or whatever it is. And those people don't need a kick in the butt to get out the door in general. It's very rare that we have to, you know, motivate people to do that what they normally need is somebody to restrain them from yeah. overdoing it. And yeah. then, and, and with these type A people, if something's written down in a, in a training program for them and they see, okay, on, it's Tuesday, I'm supposed to go do these intervals or whatever it is, they will feel guilty. So they, even if they feel they warm up, they don't feel very good. They think, okay, I'm supposed to do this. So I'm going to go through with it. When in fact, what they should be doing is going, you know, and what a coach will help them do is go, no, no, you're not doing that today. And so the, the coach can kind of absolve you of that guilt that a normal type A person will feel with, feel it because they're not complying with the instructions. And, you know, I and try to emphasize this many times over. I don't think I can say it enough because we see this routinely. We are not machines. You know, and we are not, every day is not going to be the same. And especially as we get older, it's, you know, more account has to be taken of that. I mean, with these kids, like I was talking about a little while ago, and when they're 18 and 19, you can just throw anything at them because they're going right. to bounce right back. You know, maybe they'll be a little tired one day, but the next day, boom, they're right there again. And 
adults and especially older adults, it's not the same thing. Um, and so I think it's really important to, for people to keep that in mind. And, and I'll be doing a podcast on this um, in the next few days with um, one of our coaches, Sam Naney, who you know, uh, about this exact thing where we're going to talk about how important it is to not become a slave to the program, to the plan. And I think that I, I really want to drive that home because it's something that we, you know, we hear from people. It can result in some terrible outcomes and injury and overtraining and, and that kind of stuff. But so that's something that that's something that certainly, you know, Seth can help you navigate from day to day. Yeah. But it's also something that we've tried to impart in the, you know, in the books and on the website is how to monitor and control that training so that you don't end up in the ditch with, you know, all four tires flat. And, and, and because that's, once you're there, it can be pretty hard to get, uh, get restarted. Yeah. It, but it's, it's, it, it's true. And I made that mistake. I made that mistake with you. Um, and again, you know, I hadn't done any exercise for a long time. And I remember one of the things we were doing were walk jog intervals. Mm -hmm. And I was out in an area here. It was the summer. It was a really nice day. And I was kind of going along and I was, doing my walking. I can't remember if it was a three minute, two minute or, you know, two minute, four minute, whatever. It doesn't really matter. So I wasn't really running. I was walking and then jogging. And I think we're trying to get my heart rate at some point. So it wasn't, you know, like, it wasn't like I was sprinting or anything like that. Yeah. You know, and my knee started to hurt and it hurt. I mean, it was like, you know, something down there. And this was just, just pure stupidity on my part. I just kept going to do the session the 45 minutes or whatever it was and it turned out it was an it band issue and people who had that know what that like that little needle you get there in your, in your knee and and that was really 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 dumb because all i did was aggravate it more and take a long time to kind of recover but on the other hand you know um what i like about the program and, and working with a coach is the other side of that is things like that are going to happen you're going to have to recover and, and the coach helps you adapt but I've had, um, I've been like a lot of people my age have been through, you know, some operations. I think I've had three arthroscopic procedures on my knees. I mean, they're not terrible, but they're not great. I've had um, both rotator cuff um, surgeries. And one of them I had last summer. So this was a really, uh, I delayed it. So I have a, I have a comment on that, by the way. I delayed it and um, I had it last at the end of July. Um, from a fabulous surgeon who did the work. He's done a lot of work on me. In fact, I think I put one of his kids through school, actually. <laughs> Mark Bowen here is a wonderful, wonderful surgeon, uh, orthopedic surgeon. Anyway, um, by the time he got in there, the rotator cuff is normally uh, reattaching the supraspinatus tendon, you know, back to the bone because it usually gets torn. Well, mine it was gone and it retracted and it was gone, so they had to do kind of an interim thing with uh, infraspinatus. But the point was, it took a long time to rehab that. So I'm, I'm still actually rehabbing it. So it's been a year since I got out of the, the sling. And three times a week, for roughly an hour to an hour and a half, I do. First, it was regular physical therapy. And then it was strength and conditioning stuff. But the point of this, is, and now it's it's really coming along. I mean, I'm starting to really do some stuff that, you know, I don't feel the um, limitation of it like I did before. But it's been an entire year of that. That's a lot of sessions. But... The, the point of this story is um, that Seth has helped me incorporate that into the schedule and work around that. So, you know, normally, normally he, the schedule he would 
uh, layout wouldn't include that, but he knows I need to do that. So we talked about that. And we have the ability and the, and the flexibility to um, work in different things to accommodate that. So that's really important. And, and the takeaway here is not only that the program is adaptable, but the other thing is when you get to be, I think it's probably true for maybe even your age, Scott, but certainly <laughs> at my age. Whippersnapper like yeah, that. yeah. But the point is, don't put off, don't put off getting things uh, looked at and fixed. It just, it sounds, it sounds so silly. This um, neuroma, which is, you know, an inflammation of a small joint, a nerve cell at one small joint and the toe is pretty common actually for older people. And it's really doggone uncomfortable if you have it. So I finally went in to see a guy and um, I ended up with a cortisone shot with some metatarsal inserts in my shoes. And it's like much better. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, why didn't I do this before? Why did I put this off? And so, you know, that's the message I have is, you know, get things looked at, don't put them off, get them taken care of. And if you do that in conjunction with the program, um, you're just going to have a, you know, a much better quality of life in most cases. Oh, for sure. sure. You know, and I, as probably some people know, I've just had my second knee replacement. Yeah. And so um, I'm definitely a big believer in that. I, my first knee replacement seven years ago, I was really reluctant to go down that route because I thought it was be the end of whatever I could do. But I got to the point it was so bad that I couldn't climb, I couldn't ski, couldn't hike even. And it gave me a, you know, I've had seven incredible years since then of back to running you know i'm running 30 miles a week and all that until this of course i now i'm dealing with a new re knee replacement right, but right. you know had i had i waited you know I, I wouldn't have had those seven good years of, of being able to get back in the mountains skiing climbing running all that kind of stuff and so i'm completely on board with you there it's, it's sort of like you know an old car is going to need a lot more maintenance than a brand new one is and you know we we need to spend you know almost as much time on the maintenance part as we do on you know the the recreation part and the fun part um you know it's kind of shifted i like to tell people i know it's it's like we we're like helicopters now you know for every time for every hour in the air there's 2 hours of maintenance <laughs> and i think that Pretty good, anybody yeah. who's been around helicopters knows that story um, it's yeah. so i think that it's something that that's another little one of the kind of the points that's come home to roost with me as a as an aging athlete is that <clears throat> I'm going to have to spend more time on the foam roller and stretching and you know, re re recuperating and rehabbing and that sort of thing um, than I ever have done before. And, you know, you're a great testimonial to how that can work. And, and like I said, at the beginning, I'm, I'm hoping that in you know, seven years that I'm, I'm like art. I'm out there doing this stuff. <laughs> I really hope so. Well, you know, the other, the other thing I've discovered is it, 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 a lot of people have gone through this. Um, one of the other things I want to mention about the program is that um, when we first started doing it, um, I was in a normal gym, like most people would be. You know, I'm not in the mountains, and I have kind of a limitation. I know, um, I know one of your um, athletes is Alex Penko. I had an opportunity to meet him and his fiance uh, recently when I was out in Colorado, which is kind of fun. And he, you know, he, he um, lives downtown in Chicago. And I know he does a lot of his training in the stairwell of the building, either where he works or where he lives. 
And um, you and I have talked about that before. I used to live, I used to work, sorry, used to work in a, in a high rise, you know, on the 41st floor or something like that. And um, I approached the, the, the firm where I worked about being able to access it for purposes of training the stairwell. And they approached the building management and it was, the firm said, hey, great, that's cool. And the management said, oh, no, 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 we can't have that. There's not a lot of air in there. You might suffocate. What happens if, if, you, if something happens, it's hot in there? And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'll carry a radio. You want me to carry a radio? I'll carry a radio. How about one of those, you know, I, I've fallen, but I can't get up. Beepers, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll do one of those. But it was a no-go. So I, haven't been able, I wasn't able to find um, what really would have been a really good way, I think, to train. Um, so I was using a gym, and then, of course, things shut down with, with COVID. And I'm very lucky I, had a, I have a, um, a Concept 2 rower I used to use a lot. But I don't, work, I don't use it very much anymore. In my case, it, I find it kind of, um, even when I work hard on the technique, it's kind of hard on my lower back. But I had an old Nordic track, okay, just an old wooden Nordic track. We'd had it for years and years. And that has just been a lifesaver. But other than that, most of the things that I had to do until recently, I actually got um, some um, barbell stuff, which uh, Seth and I are having a little fun with. Um, but most of the stuff I did, I did all in my basement with some, um, a set of nested dumbbells, a step-up box that I built myself. I put a, um, a hook in the ceiling and hung a TRX strap from that and then strung some parachute cord onto some weights, you know, so I could do some shoulder stuff. But the point, the point of this is, um, and I had some bands or something, I, you know, but I needed very little to still do the program. That, that, that's, now I, I did need the, you know, a Nordic track or something because the aerobic part is such a huge portion of it, but it could have been another, you know, other kinds of aerobic um, equipment. So it's important that people understand you can do an awful lot. If you happen to be lucky enough to live in an area, Utah, New Mexico, Colorado, Washington, you know, those places, you can do a lot of that work uh, outside, but it doesn't take a lot. You know, a lot of these things are body weight or minimal. I mean, if people have done your, read your book and looked at your killer core routine, they know what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah, it can take a lot of it. Still can't do an else sit. Yeah. 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 So that's important. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a equipment heavy um, program generally. No, it's, it's more of a time heavy <laughs> and, yeah, and a desire yeah. heavy. Yeah, you know, that Nordic track, it's funny you mentioned that because I'm sure there's a great number of people listening to this who don't remember Nordic tracks or <laughs> never heard of them. But <laughs> it, was a, it was a very simple fitness device uh, that's kind of simulated cross-country skiing in, in some, you know, in a fashion, after a fashion, I would say. Um, but you can pick those things up for ten dollars at garage sales all over the place. <laughs> they were they were very popular in the eighties and early nineties, and you know now they're just sitting in people's garages and basements and collecting dust. And um, I yeah I've seen them a lot. You know Craigslist and base. You know and the same thing with some of these other exercise equipment. You know if you wait until February or March, there's going to be a lot of treadmills on oh, Craigslist. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> people oh, yeah. get all actually... excited in January and. I actually looked, I was actually thinking about um, trying to rent a stair climber stick at my garage. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just because, again, it's hard to, to, to simulate that. But fortunately, the gym where I, I do belong, um, and they've done a really nice job of allowing people to come in in a very limited capacity, has a 
stair climb machine. So I go there periodically when mm-hmm. I, I need to do those step up. I mean, those um, kind of weight, um, pack carry kinds of things. It's hard to, it's hard to simulate that. So I don't want to, yeah. you know, leave the impression you don't need anything, but um, it's, it's pretty minimal until you get fairly far down the, the road. But yeah, the Nordic track, there's a, there's a huge demand for things like that and barbells and, you know, it took me a long time to kind of get what I wanted. Seth and I are kind of, you know, doing a little bit of that, um, a little bit of that training too. And that's, you know, the coaches are really, um, and I'm, I'm sure he's represented it. I know you are, um, are flexible about, you know, adapting the program to, um, meet the needs of individuals. That's certainly been my case. And I can't imagine it would be different for anybody else. Yeah, because everybody's in different situation. And, you know, and then, like I said before, where we don't work with very many really you know, super high level athletes, I would say the bulk of the people that we work with are what I would call terrain challenged. <laughs> they, yeah. they live in big yeah. cities. It's very flat and they're yeah. really limited in what they have access to. And, and it does require a little bit of creativity and also some flexibility on the part of the athlete to say, okay, I'm, you know, I can't get to the mountains you know, very often. And here's, but we can, we can build in substitutes uh, pretty easily for that kind of stuff. And as um, your testament to that, you know, it's worked quite well for you. You've been able to, we can simulate Alex Panko, like you mentioned, um, you know, I think, I mean, maybe the most incredible one of all my story, my success story was with working with this fellow, David Rusty, who's a banker in Manhattan, who climbed um, both Choyu and Mount Everest within two weeks, back to back without supplemental oxygen. And he did all, I mean, all of his training in the stairwell of this tall building that he works in. And it, you know, it, he luckily had a great running back background. It was easy to transition. I mean, he was, he had a very high work capacity for that kind of stuff, but I mean, you can succeed even on something as challenging as, you know, Mount Everest without oxygen, you know, not everybody's going to be able to pull that off and he's an exception, but just shows you the range of possibilities. If you're willing to tolerate it, there were like the desire in him was extremely high and he's, you know, he's used to training a lot because of his running background. But there were days where he put in 10,000 vertical feet in a stairwell. <laughs> and so, I mean, I, you know, I don't know how he did it. I mean, that makes, you know, a, a couple hours on a, on a treadmill or a stair machine sound like nothing. Right. It's so are. interesting because, you know, it's so interesting because there are people who, who do this. But the other thing is, you know, um, there's a whole gamut, you know, there's a whole spectrum of adventures that you can pick. That's what I, you know, and, and I've always been kind of fascinated. I, my dad gave me a copy of Annapurna, Maurice Herzog's book, you know. Yeah. Um, when my I was first mountaineering book, my very first mountaineering yeah, book. Yeah, I, 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 I still have that copy. I still love it. And I've actually haven't reread it for, you know, several years, but I have reread it a few times. And um, it just, you know, sends a, it, it sparks something that when you get at the right age. And so, and that's kind of been my, my um, you know, kind of, my motivation, I guess, or my kind of um, love for, for the mountains and the adventures and the things that people have done, but it, it doesn't have to be that. I do want to, I do, I did go back and you know, I did go to Everest and, and um, try and climb it, but you know, you, I know that I can do other things. And one of the things I was looking at just as an example was um, there's a company in out of, uh, out of England called much better adventures. And I happened to run across them because we were doing a trip 
just a, a couple's trip, Leslie and, and I and a couple, some friends have done some traveling to some cool places. We were in Morocco. Morocco, by the way, is a really, really great country to visit. I mean, it's just, it's just, a, it's interesting and I don't, you don't have time to talk about it, but it's a, it's really well worth it. But I'd looked it up and I realized that there's um, the Atlas Mountains are nearby. We were going to be there and I want to do some training and kind of, you know, not get out of touch with everything. And um, so I was searching on the web and they had this, this group was sponsoring a climb Mount Tube call. And uh, it, was a, it would have, so it sounded really good. It was really cheap. You know, I don't, I can't remember exactly what it was, but we did our, we did our tour. We ended up in Marrakesh. Everybody went home. Um, the much better adventure guys arranged for somebody to pick me up. A guy picks me up, takes me up to a little village called Imlil. You know, uh, there's some mules there to kind of carry up the supplies. You know, we, we hike up. Um, very nice young guy, um, guide, really interesting guy, Mustafa. We, we hike up to this um, refu- a refuge, a refugio, um, you know, get about five hours of sleep. This is in February. Uh, get up. I brought my, you know, crampons and, you know, trekking poles and I think boots and stuff like that with me. We get up. We climb up to the top of Mount Tubecall. It's really cold and it's really windy. <laughs> I remember that. It's February after all. Um, and then we hike back down, have a nice lunch. Uh, I go back down to Imlo. A guy picks me up and I'm back in my, in, in Marrakesh in like, I don't know, 28 hours or something like that. But it was just, it's, I was able to do that because, um, you know, I happened to see this and I was, you know, in a position to do it. It turned out to be a great adventure. And I met some interesting people, but I saw that another one they have this December, they're doing a trip across Costa Rica where you bike and hike and kayak. I think I can't remember exactly what it is, you know, and it's like, a, I can't remember if it's 160 miles or 140 miles. It doesn't really matter. One of the people I met, in um, on Mount Everest, a guy named Chad Gaston who lives in Costa Rica. I thought this is going to be great. I can go down there. I could walk across and do this cool trip across Costa Rica, and then go see Chad and his new baby, and, and you know, on the, on the way home. And of course, that trip didn't didn't happen. But it gives you the opportunity to do that. So you may not be climbing mountains, but there are the, the adventure travel industry. Not this year, of course, but it was exploding and it's going to come back and explode because people want to go places and see things and they want to get their feet on the ground. They want to you know, do stuff. And whether it's um, uh, those beautiful hikes in Europe, which I've never done, um, you know, in the Alps, in Austria, Germany, one of our guides in Everest, Conan Bliss, uh, leads those in the summertime for a company. He was talking about them and they're, they're terrific and they were, you know, they require a little bit of, of uh, conditioning. You know, you can you get ready to do those and enjoy it as opposed to struggling. So it gives you, it just opens up, you know, just this whole panoply of opportunities and things that people can do all over the world. That's, you know, that's pretty cool. It is. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. I think that's a, that is a great thing. I mean, and, and certainly I've done some of those hikes and runs, you know, the last few years going over there with my wife and we'll, you know, run and stay in a huts and things like that, run from hut to hut. It's, yeah, it's beautiful, fantastic stuff. Um, well, Art, I've taken up a good chunk of your day and I really appreciate your taking this time, having this conversation with me. It's been a lot of fun. I hope some hope folks can take some things away from this that's, you know, inspirational and motivational for them. And just, you know, learn some things about how you've navigated this whole process. But do you have any kind of closing comments for us? 
You know, I think we've, we've covered it. I mean, I really would urge people who are on the cusp, you know, those that are kind of undecided about this, to jump in. I mean, I have found that jumping into these um, trips, uh, whether it was backcountry skiing, which I hadn't done before, or climbing, uh, you're going to end up expanding your horizons, having a fabulous time, being personally challenged, and you're going to end up better off. You're going to feel better if you do the program, and you're going to have, you know, uh, new relationships, see new, new things. It, it's well worth it, and, and take the plunge. Go for it. Well, thanks. That's great advice. I really appreciate it. Um, well, thanks to the listeners. I'm really glad you tuned in for this chat with, with Art, and um, we'll catch you on our next episode. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about what we do, please go to our website, uphillathlete.com.